Hi, and welcome to Awake, a Sleeping Beauty audiobook podcast based on the YA fantasy novel of the same name, Awake, by Holly Gary. Thanks for joining us. Let's get into the story. Chapter 16 For ages, I drifted in and out of consciousness. I heard a voice I thought I recognized. I've done what I can. Her arm will be fine, but I can't seem to wake her. Amade said, We'll be back soon. I thought I was probably dreaming, so I let myself sink into it. Minutes passed, or maybe hours, before I came around again and finally opened my eyes. Hyacinth was hovering over me, looking concerned, and he wasn't a dream. I could see a purpling sky behind him. Oh, you are awake then, he said. I think I tried to sit up, and he pushed me back down. No, no, stay there. He knelt beside me. Someone had put something under my head. A bunched-up jacket, maybe. I was still lying on gravel. I could feel it poking me. I was outside the fort, and the ground beneath me was freezing. How do you feel? Hyacinth asked. My head hurts. I mumbled. He nodded. I'm not surprised. The boys say you hit a wall. I tried to look around, but turning my head made me dizzy. Where are they? Are they all right? They're fine, he said with a smile. They've gone to look for food. Is Cherbourg back? I asked. Where else would they get food? What do you mean, is it back? He looked at me like he thought I was mad. Ipame, she made it vanish. An unhappy expression passed over his face. Then it must have come back when you killed her. Her magic was gone, so her spell couldn't last. I must have misheard. I killed her? What do you mean? She just disappeared, like before. Not quite. He looked grim. Her corpse was here. A shriveled husk. Not to worry. I've removed it. I didn't think I had... I didn't think I could... You could. He managed a rather less bright smile. I wondered if he was sad that his ex-lover was dead. Even if she was evil. The weapon you struck her with was made of cast iron. Iron is one of the only things that can kill fairies. I didn't know, I said softly. The knowledge washed over me. She was gone forever. Amede was no longer in danger. None of us were. I can't believe it, I said. I'm not even magical. You have your own kind of power, said Hyacinth. You have strength of conviction. You have your love and concern for others. She had no love. I wondered what that meant in relation to her and him. I was so confused. How are you here? I asked. He definitely hadn't been before.
I sensed that something terrible was happening here. I came to see what it was. But you didn't need my help. He looked proud of me, which was very different from how he'd looked at me the last time I saw him. I grabbed his arm with my non-broken one and pulled myself up into a sitting position. Hyacinth, I said, are you still mad at me? Our faces were close together now, and he put his hand on my arm. His hair was messier than usual, hanging down into his eyes. What for? he asked softly. For not wanting to marry Amede, I said, equally soft. He glanced away, then back. I've realized that your lives are your own to do with as you will. Besides, the danger is gone now, thanks to you. He doesn't need your protection anymore. I thought you two were destined to be together. But if neither of you wants to marry the other, I must have been wrong. I remembered my final thoughts when I'd believed I was about to die. Amede loves someone else, I said. I know, said Hyacinth seriously. So do I. He regarded me for a moment, looking deeply into my eyes the way he'd done a few times before. He knew what I meant. I was sure. He could read it on my face. His face didn't change at all. He let go of my arm and looked away, finally. I think you may be confused, he said quietly. You've had a fall. I'm not... I was interrupted by Remy's voice. He was coming up behind me. Is she awake? Hyacinth turned to him with a particularly phony smile. See for yourself. Something fell and shattered inside me. Was that really it? The conversation was already over? Jaime came over to me, knelt beside Hyacinth, and wrapped me up in a hug. All he said was, I thought you were going to die. Apparently not, I said, trying for levity. Amede came over too. The way the three of them were gathered around and looking at me reminded me of the end of The Wizard of Oz. Only all the fantastical things had actually happened. Hyacinth's face was shuddered, unreadable. Amade said, I'm so pleased that you're all right, then handed me chunks of bread and cheese. I devoured it. I hadn't realized I was so hungry. Fighting a fairy was draining, apparently. The boys sat on the ground next to me, eating other things they'd bought, and we all passed around a bottle of apple juice, which reminded me of the day of our picnic, before I ever met Amede, before I knew magic was real, back when I thought Hyacinth might like me, too. After the bread and cheese, I ate two whole apples and a carrot stick, and when I'd finished, I took a deep breath and said, I want to go home. That was something I never thought I'd say. Actually, what I wanted to do was sleep in my own bed for several days. Our parents are going to kill us, though, said Jaime, 
glumly. What for? asked Hyacinth. Remy explained about the letters we'd sent them. Hyacinth said, You only sent them this morning? It felt like days ago, but yes, it had only been this morning. So you'll likely be home before they even arrive, just to intercept them before your parents ever see them. Hyacinth shrugged, like, see? Easy. It could be easy. After all the complications, this one thing might be simple. But then Amede said, in the quietest voice, What about Auguste? I had also managed to forget in the course of a day what we'd actually come to Cherbourg to do. The town's back, said Amede, sounding a bit hopeful. We can go down to the port and ask around for him. It'll be dark soon, said Hyacinth. I had no concept of what time it was. Evening, definitely. Summer days lasted forever, but that didn't mean we couldn't get anything done at this hour. I drew up my knees, let my head droop, and my eyes close. The boys kept talking. The murmur of their voices was comforting. They were talking about getting a hotel room for the night. Remy was fretting about our letters again, and Hyacinth said he could make sure they got lost. That won't help, I thought. Our parents expect us home tonight. I didn't say anything. Hyacinth proposed some ideas about how to look for Auguste. Amede expressed surprise that he was willing to help. Hyacinth said some version of what he'd previously said to me. Maybe you and Celestine aren't meant for each other after all. It's not up to me. I was too tired to care at the moment. What did it even matter? After a while, Remy tugged on my arm. Sally, he said softly. We're going to go. Can you get up? I let him pull me to my feet, only to realize we were going to have to walk all the way back down the hill. We'd left the jeep near the bottom, so it was useless. I can't do it, I said, a little embarrassed. I can't walk all that way. Hyacinth came over to me and gave me a sheepish look, a look that avoided my eyes. The kind I'd expect from someone who'd recently rejected me. He said, I can carry you, if that's all right. It's all right, I said. He picked me up in a bridal carry like I weighed nothing. Fairies also have super strength, apparently, I thought. It was like something I would have dreamed, being in his arms. I put mine around his neck and leaned my head on his shoulder. I closed my eyes and told myself, you can enjoy this. Just one last time, and then you've got to get over him. This was probably the last time he'd ever touch me. Would I even see him again once I went home? I pushed back tears. I didn't want him to feel me crying. I focused on my senses instead. My nose was pressed to his neck, and I could smell the sweetness of his skin, like fresh soap and the salt of his sweat. I was a little surprised to find him sweaty, even in summer. Does his body really work like ours do? I wondered. He carried me all the way down the ridge, and once we were on level ground, 
he set me down gently. We walked through the wet streets of Cherbourg, all neatly back in order, as if they'd never disappeared. We stayed in a hotel by the port. We had a little money left from my aunt, and Hyacinth had some too, and we paid for the night with little trouble. The woman at the front desk looked at us askance, a young girl traveling with three boys, but Rémy noticed and said too loudly, This is my sister and our cousins. Hyacinth somehow summoned our luggage back to us from the train station. In the room, there were two beds. I thought, all right, maybe I can enjoy being near Hyacinth just a little longer. Before I could do or say anything, he said firmly that he'd share with Amede, and I could share with Rémy. I took a bath, washing off all the dirt of the tunnels. My arm felt surprisingly fine. There was something delicate and gossamer, like cobwebs wrapped around it. Something fairy-made, to be sure, acting as a cast, but no doubt Hyacinth had performed a healing spell as well. My head still hurt terribly, and I was tireder than I'd ever been in my life. I worried that, after all the shock and horror, the triumph and the disappointment of the day, I wouldn't be able to sleep, but I was wrong. I fell asleep as soon as I lay down. But I woke earlier than I'd hoped to. The room was bathed in the gray light of the early dawn. Hyacinth was sitting up in bed beside Amede, gazing out the window at the slate-colored water of the English Channel. Good morning, I said, quietly. He turned towards me slowly. Couldn't you sleep? I asked. I did, a few hours, he said. I don't need as much sleep as humans. I was poised to say something else, but he stood and said softly, I think I'll go for a bit of a walk. Sleep a little longer, Celestine. He left. Maybe it was nothing, but maybe he was avoiding me. You're not going to think about that today. I told myself firmly. He looked particularly beautiful in the morning light. I went back to sleep. When I woke up again, it was after nine, and all the boys were awake, sitting in bed, eating a breakfast that Hyacinth had brought back from somewhere, fruit and croissants and fresh milk. I pushed all the bad thoughts out of my head long enough to enjoy this. I kept that enjoyment with me when we left the hotel and set out for the ferry terminal. I stood on the bustling street that ran along the water, drank in the sight of the ships and the smell of the fish markets, and breathed in the salty sea air deeply. You're alive, I told myself, and now your life is really yours to do with as you please. I was never going to let anyone tell me what to do ever again. It was quite clear that the port area hadn't yet recovered from the war. There was construction going on everywhere, along the quays and on the bombed-out building that had obviously once been the terminal. It clearly wasn't in use currently. The glass roof was still sagging down into the building itself, and there was scaffolding all around it. We tried to determine where to go instead, 
people were coming and going from two large tents set up beside the ruined terminal, and most of them were in ordinary dress, seemingly not involved with construction. We headed that way. I stopped to ask a friendly-looking lady walking past, and she indicated that the nearer tent was indeed the temporary terminal. Before we went in, we discussed a plan. I suggested asking the ticketing agent. We say we're looking for our cousin. Why not? Cousin had worked the night before. We say he ran away from home, or something, and we're desperate to find him. What if they can't get out that kind of information? Remy asked. Why wouldn't they? I said. There's a way around all that, said Hyacinth. He took us inside. The tent had a complicated metal structure holding it up. At one end was a makeshift ticket counter. People milled around the rest of the tent. Hyacinth found us a long bench to sit on. Then he said, Abscondita. What does that mean? Remy asked me, because Hyacinth seemed preoccupied. He wasn't completely, though. He said, Concealed, which we now are. Now, when would Auguste have left from here? We all looked at each other. Amide, quiet, tired, said, Less than three weeks ago. Good, said Hyacinth. Then, slightly imperiously, he added, Don't talk for a minute. I need to concentrate. He closed his eyes and rubbed his temples. Then he said, Tabula portate. From behind the ticket counter, Several bound notebooks floated out and across the room to us. No one, the agents or the waiting passengers and crew, noticed. The notebooks drifted down to us gently and stacked themselves neatly on Amade's lap. There, said Hyacinth, that should be the records of everyone who's left from this port in the last three weeks. Like we had with Michel and the newspapers, we each took books to look through. Each notebook had dozens of neatly printed pages of passenger and crew lists from various ships, some military, some civilian. At the top of each page was the name of the ship, where it had left from and when, and where it was going. So many sailed for New York, which sounded impossibly far away and exotic. How would we ever find Auguste if he was someplace like that? Farther down the page were the names, as well as the person's age, sex, nationality, and other information. I flipped through page after page, scanning. My eyes caught on names that started with A or B. I found a few Augustes and a few Beauvais, but never the two names together. I looked through the two books I had and concluded that he wasn't in them. Hyacinth and Remy were slowing down too, but just like before, Amede kept on. We sat and watched him for ten, maybe fifteen minutes. Then he looked up and sighed deeply and said, Not here. Did any of you? But he looked at each of our faces and knew the answer. None of us had found Auguste. Shall we look a bit further back? Hyacinth asked kindly, putting a hand on Amede's shoulder. Somehow this gesture reminded me that 
he'd known Amede from infancy. Did Hyacinth feel a little paternal towards him? Amede slumped. I don't know. Marc de Gilbert said he'd been gone for two weeks, right? And it's only been a few days since we spoke to her. Still, said Remy, she could have remembered wrong. Maybe she loses track of time. I do that a lot. I felt a surge of affection for all three of them. My sweet boys. It's worth looking, I said. So Hyacinth floated another two weeks' worth of records over to us, and we repeated the same process, only to come to the same conclusion. Auguste wasn't in any of these books. My heart sank further and further. My good mood from that morning dissipated as the idea of freedom receded. How could I avoid marrying Amede if we never found his lover? My brother and Hyacinth and I all sat and looked at each other, stymied. Amede seemed lost in thought. I searched my brain desperately for any other suggestion. Perhaps he traveled under an assumed name? But how would we ever know? said Amede. He sounded very far away. It could be anything. True, but I didn't actually have anything to say. I wrang my hands. Maybe he's still in Cherbourg. He could be anywhere, said Amede. No, no, he couldn't, said Remy, slowly. Marx gave us that address, right? I'd completely forgotten. We all had. I stooped over and dug through my suitcase, which sat at my feet. I found the skirt I'd worn that day on the Rue des Vieux Murs. In the pocket was the folded-up scrap of paper Marx had given us. The address was on a Rue Albert Milieu. Hyacinth returned all the records, then unhid us, so that I could ask the nearest ticket agent if she knew where that street was. The center of town, she said, and gave me directions. Down the big street, just outside, across from the Pont Tournant, up by the theater, then right. Every step I took was purposeful and firm, and a little of my hope bubbled back to the surface. The street was the usual. Shops on the bottom, apartments upstairs. Some of the buildings were bombed out, not yet rebuilt. Marc's friend lived near the end of the street, on the edge of a little square with a fountain. We found the building easily enough and rang his bell. Within a couple of minutes, the man's wife was letting us into their parlor. Our visit was a short one. The man said Marc had written him, saying that her cousin might come to see him about a job. But he never did said the man. No one has come by lately except you. Maybe he'll still show up. I don't know. We thanked him and left. Back out on the street, a breeze had blown up, chilly as it came in from the channel. If I closed my eyes, I'd be back on that hilltop, fighting for my life. I wrapped my arms around myself and forced those sensations away. We stood and went through the same routine, looking at each other blankly and casting about for ideas. We could check hotels, 
Remy suggested. We could check other ports. I barely even knew what I was saying. Le Havre, maybe? We could ask Marthe again, Remy said. Amédée was silent, and Hyacinth didn't chime in either, just stuck his hands in his pockets and looked down the street like he was over the whole thing. That cool distance of his still gave me a pang. My mind was at war. You stupid girl, get over him. But it's been less than a day. Can we focus on Auguste, please? Remy and I kept tossing out inane suggestions until Amede held up a hand and said, Stop. Please. We all looked at him, waiting for instruction. He was staring off into space again. It's over, he said, finally. We should go home. Thank you for listening to Chapter 16 of Awake by Holly Gary. If you're enjoying yourself, feel free to leave us a review and share us with other book lovers. You can follow us on Twitter and Instagram at AwakeThePodcast. And you can follow Holly, the author, on Twitter at HollyGary7 and on TikTok at HollyAnnWriter. That's Anne spelled with an E. You can look forward to Chapter 17 coming out next week. In Chapter 17, all hope is not quite lost for Celestine and Amédée. Until then, happy reading, and we hope your week is fantastical.